Hi, everyone, and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan podcast. I'm JJ Walsh here in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I had the chance to talk with Kelly Hayes Rate.、Uh, she had a political career in the US. And then for the last 20 years, she's been traveling around the world as a house sitter and a pet sitter. As a way to enjoy slow and meaningful travel, she volunteers while she's traveling and staying in these places, sometimes months at a time. And it's a really interesting alternative lifestyle. And I think a lot of us,、uh, especially during COVID, we've found that we're able to work online pretty much from anywhere. Uh, so, there's a lot of great insights here that I think、uh, the audience, no matter where you are, you might find interesting.、Uh, we talk a little bit about、uh, Kelly's experience in Japan、uh, when she traveled as well, and we had the chance to personally meet.、Um, so, I hope you enjoy the episode and、uh, let me know in the comments any questions or comments that you have for Kelly. With Kelly Hayes Raitt, who is in Lisbon. Thank you so much for joining today, Kelly. Thank you. It's nine o'clock here on a nice, bright, sunny day. I understand、yeah. you're in the rainy season. So sorry. No, no, it, it was actually a really beautiful day today. We had a little break in the weather. And、uh, one thing that keeps me positive is all the beautiful hydrangeas are now out、mm. everywhere. So that's gorgeous. So, what's the weather like in, in Lisbon? It's beautiful and sunny today. We have the jacarandas out now. What's that?、So、is that a kind of jacarandas?、Flower? Yeah, it's a flowering tree, purple, beautiful. Oh, wow.、Yeah. Oh, I want to say picture now.、Um, so, Kelly, you and I met years ago. I guess it was eight years ago. You、mm-hmm. came to Hiroshima for the 70th anniversary of the bombing.、Uh, you were doing a house sit in Osaka. So, during this talk, we're going to talk about. How you've kind of used house sitting as like your next stage in life after a very intense career, right?、Um, yes. But that was, that was incredible to be able to meet you and then now to be able to talk to you again many years later. So、I、thank you so much. Such a joy for me to see you, Joy. <laughs> That's great. Let's talk a little bit about your career. So, you were a political consultant and activist in California. For about 30、mm-hmm. years, is that right? That's right, yeah. I got into politics when I was 12. And at that age, I decided I wanted to run for office myself. And so I became a political activist. And that's what I did for all of my adult years until I ran for office myself,、uh, for public office, and got my butt kicked and decided I needed to take a break from politics. And that was, oh goodness, that was,、um, I can't do the math that quickly. That was 18 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow, incredible.、Yeah. And you've been pretty much house sitting and on the road in those 18 years, have you? Yes, I have.、Mm-hmm. Yep, I spent some time in the Middle East.、Um, one of the ways that I licked my wounds was I went to the Middle East and I was reporting from、um, Iraq right before the war started, the US led invasion. And I went back a few months later to follow up on my stories.、Um, and then I just、uh, started traveling the world.、I've, Fell into the world of house sitting, which was very new then, where I would go to people's homes, pet owners' homes, take care of their pets while they went on holiday. And I had an opportunity to live、uh, basically rent free in their home while I was taking care of their home and their pets. So it was a great win win kind of opportunity for all of us. And I 
ended up, I was traveling full-time for 12 years and I house sat in 22 different countries throughout Southeast Asia, Europe, Africa, Mexico. So That's amazing. And yes. you've written so many really interesting articles. A lot of it is available on your blog, which I'll link in the show notes below. Um, but while you were traveling, you had, you just, was it an opportunistic, uh, something was happening and so you were reporting on it or did you kind of plan your trips to have a chance to cover these stories? Like for example, uh, in Korea, you covered the comfort woman uh, story. You had a chance to interview some of the survivors, right? Yes, yes, I did. I, I interviewed a comfort woman. It was a really remarkable experience, actually, because, you know, they're all in their in their 80s. The ones that are still surviving are in their 80s now. And uh, yeah, and it was really quite something to uh, have an opportunity to meet this woman. You know, what, what impresses me, what inspires me, what keeps me awestruck is people's resilience. And I found that when I interviewed Habakasha, survivors of the atomic bombs, I found that when I interviewed um, the comfort women, I found that when I interviewed uh, Syrian refugees, which I did in Berlin during the height of the Syrian refugee crisis, I, I, people are just extraordinary. The human spirit is, you know, I know you're all about sustainability. The human spirit is the most sustainable thing that's out there. And to have an opportunity to talk with people at their lowest, about their lowest, most difficult things and hear how they came through them is, is an honor for me. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. That, that whole, the under, you know, I feel very privileged to live in Hiroshima for so long and be surrounded by mm -hmm. people that have come through something that most of us would consider impossible to move on from. How do you rebuild lives after that, you know? And yeah, I just, I think it's incredible that, and I think it's something we can all relate to. Like a lot of visitors are drawn to come to Hiroshima or go to Nagasaki or to learn about these issues, which are dark, but that's a very interesting part of travel, which I think as humans, as people who live in the real world, we can all connect to on some level of loss and trying to mm -hmm. rebuild after crisis or disaster in some way, right? Right. Absolutely. I mean, my loss was pretty minor compared to most other people's. I, I lost an election. It was a nasty election. I felt like I lost my identity. There was a lot of betrayal. Um, I felt like I lost, uh, well, I lost my identity. I had identified with being a political activist for all those years. And then suddenly in my mid forties, I woke up one morning and said, oh, I shouldn't swear on air. I said, WTF. <laughs> Now what do I do? And uh, and so it took me a while to kind of figure that out. But one of the ways that I healed was by by working with people who were moving on from horrendously difficult things in their lives. War. I mean, what's worse than that? People who had lost family members and lost their homes and their identities and their limbs. And, you know, I mean, it's just it's just extraordinary to, to watch people recover from that and to move on. And so that that helped me heal. So house sitting was really a big part of that for me because it allowed me to travel to all these different places and become part of the community. That's incredible. Yeah. And so important uh, to have that chance to to live like a local. I think it's it's a very different kind of traveling than staying in hotels 
or hostels, right? And you, you talk about that in your, your articles. Uh, hey, Sarah has joined us from YouTube. Great to see you, Sarah. I think you just did a talk with Sarah the other day, didn't you? I did, and it was wonderful. And that's how you and I connected. And Sarah's on Hawaii now, so I have no idea what time zone she's in, but it's great to see her. Nice to see you, Sarah. Thanks for joining. Um, yeah, so talking a little bit about uh, how you got started with house sitting. Uh, so you wrote a book, which gives people some insights, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, you also, you're a writing coach. <laughs> So you help people move through and get their book done. How many people out there, including myself, are always like, I should write a book. And then you're just so hard to get going to actually get it done. And that's uh, one of your jobs that funds you around the world, right? Right. I love working with authors, um, particularly memoir writers. But I also work with uh, writers of fiction and other kinds of um how-to books like my book, The House Sitting Book, and and uh, and just help writers get through those humps and cheer them on, but also give them practical advice that I've learned as a writer um, on how to move a story forward. So with a house sitting book, I, you know, house sitting isn't brain surgery, but I learned a lot while doing it. And, um, and this is just a great way for people to kind of get a little bit of a leg up when they're trying to figure out how to break into house sitting. Um, very cleverly titled, How to Become a House Sitter, right? But I start the book with, um, I sleep around, usually with animals. Because <laughs> I've, I've, I've house sat for, uh, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of dogs and cats and, <clears throat> and rabbits as well. So and um, those which are, those which are, are the hardest pets to take care of? Or which do you worry about taking care of the most? Older animals. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because um, it's sometimes things just go wrong. Yeah. Um, and um, and puppies can be a challenge, especially if they're not really super well trained because they get into everything. But there's so much joy. And the older animals are very sweet, too, because they just want to cuddle and love you and be with you. So, yeah. Also, you're giving uh, the owners so much more peace of mind than uh, in Japan. A lot of people who travel or go away on business, they have to use these pet hotels and the animals get really stressed and they're very expensive. So if you can have someone come and stay in your house and take care of your pet in their environment, that's it's so much nicer for the pets. And I think for the owners to have that peace of mind, too. Right. Yeah, I think it's really important because it keeps the pets routines. Um, it, it is a lot less stressful for them, um, particularly if they're on medication or if they have, you know, particular routines or behavioral problems. It's just really nice to, to have somebody there right on site. But I also take care of the home. So I've had situations where there have been storms coming through and the homeowners were like really grateful that somebody was in their home to take care of it or, um, I take care of plants too, you know, keep the plants watered and keep the, the gardens and lawns. I would, up, I would so. worry about keeping plants alive. I don't have much luck around here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I would do my best. Give me, give me good advice. You know, the whole thing is, tell right. me how you do it. I'll follow you. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I just, I ask for the, the, the advice too, um, in terms of how homeowners want it. Cause it keeps the routine of the whole home happening, you know, keeps that moving forward. So, I mean, one of the things that I, I, I mean, I love being with pets. So that's 
like the number one thing for me about house sitting. And I love the opportunity to travel and as you said, live like a local and have a real immersive experience. But the other thing that really um, sparks my joy about house sitting is knowing that I'm giving the homeowners an opportunity to travel. Um, years and years and years ago, before I got into it, I was working with a man who told me that he and his wife couldn't travel because they had two big rescue dogs. And I just thought, oh, I mean, here they've put their hearts out and they've rescued these dogs and it's meant that they had to give up traveling. You know, that to me was just like such a huge sacrifice. And so I love being able to um, provide a service to pet owners, particularly rescue pet owners and allow them to have the, the horizon opening opportunity to travel themselves and know that everything's okay back home. That is so that's a, a, that's a, yeah. That's such a peace of mind. That's a gift uh, when you're traveling. You know, like uh, we we recently we had signed up with a house uh, sitting a pet sitting service, but they couldn't find a match for us, and we had to go and see family last summer. So we asked some neighbor kids to come and just feed the cats, and it was really stressful being on vacation, trying to communicate with you know, neighbors, are they, are they really doing, you know, and they were great. They ended up being, you know, very responsible and everything, but how much easier would it have been to have someone here, you know? Right. No, exactly. So the way the model works is there are several platforms out there that are online where um, pet owners can go and join and then put up a profile with their house sitting needs, what the pet's needs are, where they're located and so forth. And then um, sitters like me join those sites and we look and see if the dates are right, if it's a location that makes sense, and then we, we connect through the platform. So my favorite platform, there's a big one out there that I'm not gonna mention, that is the most expensive and the most competitive, and in my personal opinion, doesn't have very good customer service. So I like to use the smaller sites and uh, because they're, the customer service is just unparalleled with the smaller sites. Um, one of the sites that I really love is House Sit Match. And they're based out of uh, the UK. It's a family-owned business. They've been around for um, nearly 10 years. And they're running a really great promotion right now where they're offering free 12-month standard memberships to homeowners and to pet sitters. So it's a great opportunity for anybody who is just toyed with the idea of becoming a pet sitter and, and doing this as, a, um, as an opportunity to travel or a great opportunity for a pet owner like yourself to find somebody besides the kids next door, right? Um, so it's housesitmatch.com and you need to put in the code FREE12. FREE is all capital letters and there's no gap. Uh, FREE12 and for the standard membership. And it's, um, yep, perfect, thank you. Okay. And uh, it's it a great chat, so everybody should have that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a great opportunity, and the the woman who runs it is just such a lovely woman, and she's very hands on and very committed to the idea of the collaboration of house sitting, and, and the kind of win win it is. It's not like you just find a vacancy and and you apply and you get it. There is kind of a back and forth between you and the homeowner, and to make sure you're a right match before you commit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I always insist on a video chat so that I have a chance to see how the owners interact with the animals and I have a chance to see their home. And we talk about, oh, just all kinds of things, you know, are there, what are the pets routines? Um, are they on any medicines? What are their behaviors like, right? All pets have, you know, some behavior and how do you handle that? 
And so I want to be consistent about that. And it also gives the homeowner a chance to ask me questions about my experience and about, um, you know, how I handle certain situations. So it's a it's a little bit like a job interview um, because it is a professional experience, although no money changes hands. I don't get paid as a house sitter and I pay my way to go to the home and the homeowner, you know, comp compensates me by free accommodations and usually a full refrigerator or something like that. You know, it's very kind. People are people are very appreciative. Um, so it's a it's a great win win collaboration. Yeah, that's awesome. And you did mention in another of the podcasts you did that there are some professional house sitters, uh, professional uh, pet sitters. But I think like like you were saying, in terms of being a traveler and go, coming on a travel visa, it's definitely easier if no money exchanges hands, that you you just have like a handshake agreement, uh, you'll take care of the house and pets, and you have a place to stay, right? Exactly. And I've become really good friends with a lot of the people that I've house sat for. And I do a lot of repeats. And it's, um, I mean, really dear, dear friends at this point. Um, I met Sarah through house sitting networks. And uh, it's just a lovely community to be part of. And it's really been a big part of my life in the last 10, 15 years. And I'm so grateful for it that, that I fell into this. Awesome. Yeah. Now, on you've written a lot about uh, house sitting and pet sitting, including your book. Uh, mm -hmm. You have a great blog. And one of the articles that you did, which I, I thought was really interesting, and I picked up a lot of parallels. Uh, you were talking about traveling as a, a solo female woman traveler and uh, 16 reasons house sitting is perfect for solo women travelers. And there's so many uh, points here that I thought is another reason why house sitting or pet sitting is also more sustainable travel. It's mm -hmm. a slower type of travel. You are traveling like a local, you're having more local experiences. Um, but let's just mention some of the points because it was awesome. And then I'll, I'll put the link to the blog so everybody can read everything. Um, sure. I love your number one, you're in a safer area usually than the hotels are. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I'm a city girl. So I generally house sit in cities because that's what I love. And, you know, let's face it, the touristy areas of most of the world's major cities are kind of dicey sometimes, right? And, uh, you know, they attract pickpockets, they attract scammers. And it's, I like being in a real neighborhood where the neighbors are watching out for each other. If I'm walking a dog, I get a chance to meet the neighbors because they're outside as well. I'm meeting other dog owners. And, and they it's probably just, know your dog that you're walking. That's right. right? That's right. I, I've had that happen so many times. It's just, it's, <laughs> I, when people come up and, uh, you know, it's really funny. And it's a great way then for me to meet people. That's a ter terrific icebreaker, right? But even if I've got cats and I'm not out walking an animal, um, it's still usually a safer neighborhood. And, uh, and so that's something that I really like, particularly if I'm going out to a play or or meeting friends for dinner or something and I'm out at night to be able to come home to a regular neighborhood as opposed to you know some of those sketchy tourist neighborhoods yeah yeah and uh another really interesting point you said you adopt their friends often their neighbors <laughs> and their friends you ask them for recommendations of friends or neighbors that you might talk to and then you can make connections through their friends or their neighbors i just thought that was brilliant 
Yes, thank you. Yeah, because the homeowners aren't going to be there. So even though I bonded with them, there's not going to be much of an opportunity to, to go play with them. So I asked them to introduce me to um, one of their friends or a couple of their friends. And it's somebody that I can go out and have coffee with, or they can show me, you know, a really interesting part of town that I wouldn't have found by myself, or someone I could go to an art exhibit with. And I've, I've made some really wonderful longstanding friends that way as well. Isn't that funny? So yeah. sometimes you might actually stay in someone's house, become good <laughs> friends with their neighbors and never meet them. <laughs> that, can, that has happened. I've house sat uh, numerous times for people that, um, you know, re repeating times that I've never actually met them in person, that they leave before I get there. So it's, but, it's so but, we, but we stay in touch and I feel like they're friends because yes, we're in touch yes. all the time. Yeah. And, and you do a video chat, so you, you kind of feel like you know them, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and, you know, I'm living in somebody's home, too. That's a very intimate relationship when you think about it. Um, I mean, it's not like I'm snooping around or anything, but, you know, you see how people live their lives and, and, and how things are set up. And you're taking care of their pets, you know, their most close, closely held, important um parts of their lives. So it's a very intimate kind of relationship. So it's, um, it's something that I take very responsibly. And, and all of my house sitter friends take that responsibility to heart as well. Yeah, I think you have to because uh, you also get a rating as at the end, right? Don't you get a rating yes. so that people <clears throat> trust you in the future? Yes. And yeah, we, uh, we, we, it's an exchange. So I, I rate the homeowners and give them a review on the website and they give me a review as a sitter. Yeah, so it does keep that that bond intact. Yeah. Nice. Um, another thing you were talking about laundry. This is something that drives me crazy. <laughs> if I go to a hotel and usually there's no like laundry machine that you can use, and you're there for a week, and then you have to go and find. I usually meet people in the area because I'm at the coin laundry, like in around the <laughs> hotel area because. They'll charge you, what is it, like $5 per sock or something? Like, it's crazy. So having yeah. that added benefit, added value of just having a laundry there, having kitchen that you can cook in. Sometimes you don't want to eat out every meal, right? You, right? you have a house that you can use. You also have free parking if you have a car. Uh, there's a lot of benefits of living like you live there, right? Right. And usually people have, you know, cable packages. So Netflix and HBO plus and so forth. So you don't have to pay for all those movies. I mean, hotels are, I, I, I like hotels. I stay at hotels when I have to, but they're tremendously consumptive, right? I mean, they're so bad for the environment, you know, doing, even if you hang your towels up, the maid still oftentimes takes the towels away and replaces them every day. Um, and just, when you think about all the things that go into making a hotel room, the soaps and just all of it is so consumptive. And um, so I like that I protect the environment by staying in someone's home, but I also get all those other luxuries. I don't get nickeled and dimed like crazy, like you do in a hotel. There's no tips. As you said, you don't have to pay for laundry. Um, I have my own kitchen. I don't have to pay for parking. You know, usually uh, there's stores that are around me that are, what locals pay for things, not what tourists pay. Um, room service in hotels are so expensive as well. So it's it's just, it's a great budget way to travel. Yeah. And yeah. don't you find like, even if you stay in a hotel that has a kitchen, like you're, you're trying to cook something, you have to buy everything 
from the store that you want to cook. So everything, including salt, pepper, oil, any kind of like pan or cooking thing that they don't have, right? But in a house, they're fully equipped for everything. Clean, cleaning materials, you know, yeah. I can wash the dishes. I don't have to go out and buy dishwashing soap, right? Yes. I mean, just all of those kinds of things. It's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it just, it's a seamless way to travel in terms of, of amenities. Yeah. And then you don't have the single-use plastics, which unfortunately most right. hotels and guest houses in Japan are still using. You've got, you know, plastic toothbrushes, plastic everything in the room when you get in and you're like, oh, God. Like, so if you stay at someone's house, I assume that you do not have plastic everything. Right. Single-use, right? <laughs> right. And I actually have full bottles of shampoo. Those little tiny bottles, they drive me nuts, right? That's so, they're who so who needs that? Nobody needs right. that. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, we mentioned about saving money, but you have to be aware of the responsibility. So not really, it's not really something you would say you're staying for free because you are, right. you have the responsibility to take care of the house and take care of the pets, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's first and foremost. So, you know, I have, I have sat full time for 12 years. And let me just say, as an aside, most people don't house sit full time as a lifestyle, they do it for their holidays. So, you know, a summer break, uh, you know, Christmas holiday, Easter, whatever. And, and it's just, it's a great way to kind of immerse yourself in another, in another culture, um, without having to pay for all these wasteful hotels. Um, so that's the way most people house sit. And I forgot the question. <laughs> um, oh, saving money, saving money. Right, saving money. Oh, the responsibility part of it. But yeah. there is the responsibility, of course. And, and there have been times over the last 12 years that I've had to drop my plans and, and take care of a, of a pet and rush a pet to the vet. You know, that happens occasionally. And, um, you know, it's just something to be aware of. It's part of the responsibility that house sitters take on. And I think homeowners understand that responsibility too. And they're just so welcoming and grateful that someone is help, you know, coming to their home and taking care of their animals for free and taking on that responsibility. So, yeah. If, if you did have to take the animals to a vet or something that costs a lot of money, um, would the neighbors like help you pay for that? And then the owners pay them back. I, have you ever had issues like that? Yeah. Usually what happens is, is that the homeowner has set it up with the vet beforehand. Okay. So, right. you know, so they either leave cash somewhere if there's an emergency or they set it up with an account. Um, one time I did have to, a dog got into some poison, uh, some snail poison, and I had to rush it to the vet and the homeowner, you know, was on the phone with the vet as well with her credit card. So, oh. Yeah, and the animal was fine. The dog was oh, fine. Good. That would be such so a scary. sweet dog. Oh. It was, but the dog was just, you know, he was just great and he was so loving and yeah, it worked out okay. Oh good. He's because I, yeah. I think a lot of travelers uh always feel like, oh, I'm on vacation, nothing bad will happen. Uh, but sometimes bad things do happen, especially when you're taking care of somebody else's house and pets. You want to have that layer of responsibility that you're going to take care of it if something goes wrong, right? Right. And I always ask for emergency contacts. So somebody local who, you know, can come and help, whether it's a trusted neighbor or, you know, a relative or somebody who's close by who can, who can pinch it. Because what if something happened to me? Right. And nothing ever has touch wood, but uh, you know, it's, so it's nice to have a backup, a local backup who, um, who can help out, you know, and just be, if nothing else, moral support if you need it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, you can cook for yourself, you can get the local insights, you can meet the neighbors, uh, better, safer Wi-Fi, park for free. But one of the things that kind of surprised me was you were talking about no bed bugs. Well, you know, bed bugs around the world in these beds were lots of people are sleeping in. I did not think of you that. You just don't know. But, you know, in somebody's home, I mean, you know you're walking into a place that's that's likely to be a lot more hygienic than a hotel. Wow, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, you know, Joy, post-COVID, you know, I think that's also important, too, because we've, you know, we've just come out of this pandemic when people weren't traveling and they were sequestered in hotels. And, you know, I, you know, hotels can be like little, I'm not a big germaphobe, but hotels can be kind of little dicey sometimes. <laughs> now, you, you say that you have a quiz for people, whether they are the kind of person who would be a good house sitter or a pet sitter. Uh, can you give us a little taste, like some of the questions from the quiz? Sure. I, yeah, I include that right in the beginning of my book because, I mean, let's face it, house sitting isn't right for everybody. And, um, and I think it's really important for people to know, to assess what's important for them. I mean, this isn't a pass-fail quiz. It's, it's, an, it's a self-exploration opportunity to see what's most important to you. So some of the factors I talk about, for example, are noise. Now, I, I don't know if you can hear the planes here in the background in Lisbon. I've got some pretty good headphones. But I live in a particularly noisy place in Lisbon. And I know friends who would not be happy living here because of the noise. Um, so it, that's an important thing to know about yourself if that's something that that's concerns you. Um, another thing to think about is how rural the area is. Um, I mentioned before that I'm a city girl. And um, I like to be able to just hop on public transportation and get around. So I tend not to take rural house sits because that just doesn't fit with my traveling style and my personality. Um, some other kinds of things to look at is, um, let's see, we could go to someone, clutter. Um, different people have different levels of um, ability to live with somebody else's clutter. And so um, that's something to look at. So when you're having the video chat with a homeowner, it's an opportunity to look around the house and see how cluttered it is and whether or not that would make you feel anxious if you were there. Um, uh, let's see. Um, by, by clutter, do you also mean, like I've been in some <clears throat> artistic people's houses and mm -hmm. they have gorgeous pottery and antiques everywhere. And I, I feel really nervous staying there just I don't want to knock anything everything looks very expensive that kind of thing um, is that what you mean by clutter or a bit different? well it, it could be all kinds of different things right so like um, that's one example so one way to handle that would be either don't apply for that sit because that would not be a good fit for you or don't live in the rooms that have those antiques so, I mean, it's possible to just shut the doors and not live, you know, live in the family room. Most people, you know, most people who have homes like that with a lot of antiques have a more relaxed family room that they could live in. Um, but other examples of clutter might be uh, in the kitchen. If there's a, you know, not a lot of counter space and you like to cook and there's just gadgets everywhere that could make people anxious. I, I'm not a big cook. I, clutter doesn't bother me. So it's not something that I, that I think about and worry about, but I have friends who, 
first thing they do sometimes when they go into a place is take photographs of where everything is and then move everything to the side so they have room for their own things to be able to be comfortable living there. Now, part of that depends on how long the house sit is. If it's, you know, if it's a weekend, you know, I'm not going to worry about that or a week or something, but some of the house sits I've had have been several months. And so it's, um, or, you know, several weeks. So it's nice to be able to create my own space. Um, if I, if I am doing a longer house. It looks like when you go there, that's so clever because I have been told by friends that we've had extended stays with that they can't find things after I leave. Cause I, put them, I just, I don't, I don't realize I'm doing it, but I put things in different areas that they don't normally put things in. And so they'll be calling me after going, where did you put the peeler? Like where joy, right. you know? right. especially kitchen stuff. Right. Yeah, no, that's a, so I, so I ask if I'm going to do a longer stay, I ask homeowners to clear a little space for me in the closet and in the bathroom and in the kitchen so that I have room to put my stuff without moving their stuff around a lot. But um, again, these aren't deal breaker things. They're just things to know and to know about yourself, what, what makes you happy when you travel. And, 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 um, and it can, that can change, right? Sometimes it can be, I wanna go to a new culture and explore it. So I wanna have um, a lot of free time where I could go out to museums and plays and so forth. So I probably don't wanna take care of a puppy that needs to be walked five times a day. On the other hand, sometimes I'm on a writing project or I'm editing a book and I'm going to be spending most of my time home. And so having that dog that needs to be walked five times a day is a joy because it gets me out of the chair and out walking around a little bit. So understanding the purpose of your travel, who you're traveling with, what you're hoping to get out of the trip, what kind of experience living in somebody's home would, would make sense to fit those needs. So those are all those are all things that are sort of part of the quiz. So um, again, the quiz isn't like a deal breaker. Am I a good house sitter or am I not a good house sitter? It's a, an opportunity to decide and to understand more about the different factors that would make your trip more um, successful for you. No, I think that's really important. And uh, knowing yourself and things that you're going to find irritating or you're going to find good about it. And of course, there's you can't plan for everything. There must be host sets that you've signed up for. And then you get there and you're like, mm, not really fitting me. Do you ever have that? I've had that. And I've had that go both ways where I've shown okay. up and gone, oh, Gee, what did I just get myself into? And holy cow, this is way better than I thought it would be. Um, so, you know, that's just, but that's part of traveling, right? I mean, I've walked into hotel rooms where I've gone, what was I thinking? And then something grow on you, right? Yeah, right. So it it just, it's, um, it's, it's all part of traveling. It's part of being flexible. I think we were talking before about resilience and um, and I think resilience is something that's very important for house sitters, flexibility, sense of humor, all of those things that we pack when we travel, you know, the, the curiosity, the flexibility, the willingness to go with the flow. We need that in spades when we're house sitting, but we, we carry that with us anyway when we're traveling, right? Definitely. Um, now, you had the chance to interview a woman who was a famous traveler. Who was that? I saw that on your blog. And I thought that was so interesting. Oh, Rita Golden Gelman? Yes, yes. Yes. Did she oh, give yes. you any insights from her many years of experience? 
Yes, a Rita's a trip. She wrote Tales of a Female Nomad when Rita was in her 40s. Um, she uh, was in a marriage that was just not working anymore. And um, she decided to sell all of her belongings and travel the world full time. And she did that for many, many years. And she wrote a book called Tales of a Female Nomad um, and also a, an anthology following that called Female Nomad and Friends. Yeah, there she is. I took that photo actually, <laughs> it was in uh, Toto Santos, Mexico. Um, yeah, Sarita is uh, just incredibly inspiring about traveling and about how travel opens, opens things inside us. It just makes us more connected in the world, but also I think makes us more connected to what makes us tick in each individual tick. Um, and, and Rita definitely, like she's, her big thing in life is to, to create a gap year mentality in the United States. Rita's American. And, um, you know, Joy, I know you're American as well. And, you know, the, the mentality there is to go from, you know, high school right into college and start your life and make it happen. And so Rita's been an advocate for a gap year to allow 18 and 19 and 20 year olds socially make it socially acceptable for them to take a year and go explore the world in some way. And uh, she feels that that and I agree with her. She feels that that's really an eye opener for young people before they embark on their career. Um, you know, Rita used to say to me, the more people travel and meet each other, the fewer wars we have. Yeah, That's so. absolutely how I feel. And I, I've started doing uh, guiding this year since the borders open. I was, I was training, you were, you are a trainer and an educator as well. So I was training and educating guides and future tourism, you know, people in university for years. And I just started doing it myself this year. And I just, I love it. I love seeing my Hiroshima through the eyes, the fresh eyes of international travelers. And many of the travelers or a bunch of groups have been from Israel uh, or Jewish travelers from the States and their perspective on Hiroshima and the Holocaust Museum or their experiences or their heritage. And I know that you had a really interesting uh, Palestine and Israel uh, Re like event that you were a part of. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. After, after my election loss, um, I, I went to the Middle East, I've been to the Middle East seven times. And so my first time was when I was uh, covering the, um, the U S led invasion in Iraq, but I also was part of delegations um, that were working with other refugees. And so I spent time in Palestinian refugee camps in the West bank, uh, in Lebanon and in Syria. And uh, it was really quite an eye-opening experience for me to see firsthand the impact of U.S. policies on the Middle East, and particularly the amount of defense dollars the U.S. gives to Israel. And uh, it's $3 billion. It's uh, a, a year, and it's more than we give any other country in the world. And by law, a vast majority of that money must come back to U.S. weapons manufacturers. So... <laughs> This is not a surprise to most of us, but you know, wars are big money makers, and um, you know that was something that that I learned while I was there, and that was really quite a shocker. So it was an interesting experience for me. So I I've, I have written quite a bit about refugees in the Middle East. Wow, I mean, you've done a lot of work. It seems like with uh, refugees, uh, you were volunteering in Berlin 
when the Syrian refugee crisis, and then you were in Mexico for the Central America refugee crisis, right? Right, yes. I happened to be um, house-sitting in Berlin during the height of the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, my homeowner was wonderful. She you know, knew of my interest in this area. And so she found for me, the, she researched and found, she speaks German, I don't, the refugee crisis, um, the, the refugee uh, um, registration center. So I went down and volunteered while I was there, while I was house sitting in Berlin, I went down and volunteered at that refugee center and had a chance to interview some refugees and wrote that up for a newspaper column that I was writing for a, a paper in West Los Angeles at the time. And then in Mexico, I had a regular house sit in Mexico every spring and fall for 10 years. And uh, during that time was the height of the Central American refugee crisis. And um, yes, todos, todos, todos somos inmigrantes. Um, and I did a fundraising event to raise money for one of the refugee centers in, in Guadalajara. Wow. You know, I mean, just little, yeah. little tiny things. I mean, what I'm doing, I feel like it's just drops in, in a bucket. Um, but, you know, everything helps. Everything makes a difference. And having an opportunity to talk about it with you is a way to, you know, spread the word about what is actually going on in the world, because oftentimes we don't hear about these things. Yeah. So thank you for doing all this fabulous research oh, about my work. No, of course. It's it's really connected to why I'm still here in Japan, you know, and feeling like I'm a part of things and I'm connected to things. And even though maybe some people think that I'm traveling, when they look at me, I don't look like I've lived here for most of my life now, you know. Um, wow. But I feel like in a way, as an international long-term resident, that I can have insights and I can support people and issues, which is positively moving it into a better future, I hope. I hope I'm having a positive influence, even though I'm outside of my country. And I get the feeling that you feel that way too. I do, because um, I think in many of the places where I've traveled, uh, I've been the only American around. And um, sometimes the image that foreigners have of Americans is not a very positive one. And so I appreciate the opportunity to broaden someone's perspective about America, about America and about Americans. Um, I also, I mean, I'm very proud of my country, but I'm, I'm also not proud of some of the things we've done and some of the policies that we have. And, uh, I, you know, I like being, oh, I don't know, an ambassador for peace sounds way too lofty, but we're all ambassadors for peace if we choose to be, right? And I think um, my impact on other people when I'm traveling is as important as the impact they have on me and their culture has on me. And I hope that there's an exchange that occurs when I travel. So You've, you've also, you did uh, climate refugees talking about Katrina mm. and talking to people there. So you, you have done articles and traveled within the U.S. as well? Is that right? Yes, yes. I, I did. Uh, that, I had a really interesting opportunity in, in New Orleans. A, um, a couple saw my profile on, on uh, one of the, the on House Sit Match and one of the other um, platforms and reached out to me and they said, we're not traveling anywhere, but we'd really like to host you here. We look at what you're writing and we'd like to host you here. And so that you have an opportunity to write about Katrina. And I also had been part of a delegation that um, had gone and helped clean up the Ninth Ward, which was the area, the, the poorest area of New Orleans that was hit the hardest by Katrina and the flooding 
that happened afterwards. Um, and what was really interesting for me, Joy, is that I heard people say exactly the same things that I'd heard Iraqi refugees and Syrian refugees from the Middle East say, we've lost our families, we've lost our history. And it just, it blew me away because I, you know, in America, we don't have refugees. They come from somewhere else. They're, as Americans, we don't think of ourselves as having a refugee population. And in fact, that word became a real uh, touchy word to use for the people who'd been displaced by Katrina and the flooding um, that had happened afterwards. And, uh, you know, but for all intents and purposes, they were refugees in the United States. Um, but we, we couldn't call them that because that had too much of a negative connotation. It was rather interesting to see the politics around that. That is. And I think some yeah. people still feel that way about what happened in Katrina or, you know, like not how there is a big gap between certain neighborhoods being rebuilt quickly and, and other neighborhoods not getting priority. Uh, you also talk about lost history, the theft of history in Syria. My goodness, you've done some great research, girlfriend. <laughs> Thank this, you for this really resonates with me because I'm doing tours <laughs> through the Peace Park. And Abam Dome is an iconic ruin that everybody who visits wants to see. And that discussion starts with um, local people were debating whether to keep it or not. That was a big discussion mm. after the war. And you can understand both sides, right? And so we're so glad that it's preserved because that is a really important part of the history that visitors need to see for themselves, right? Right, right. Yeah, so that article was about Palmyra, uh, Syria. I, I spent a summer in Syria co-leading a delegation to help um, Iraqi refugees. And we did, and this was about a year and a half before the civil war started in Syria. So I, I followed what was happening there quite closely. And um, and just to see the pillaging of this history was so sad. And those artifacts helped fund ISIS. That's what that article was about, about the, the, um, the black market for stolen artifacts is, is, exists and it's pretty big. And it was helping to fund ISIS um, as well as just decimating the, the Syrian history. So yeah, that was for, um, I mentioned earlier, I had for a couple of years, I had a uh, column in a newspaper in West Los Angeles. And I um, it was really a lot of fun because my editor was very open to the idea of me writing about my different travels as long as I could connect them locally as well. So, um, and that was when I was in Hiroshima, I was writing for that paper. And so the articles that I wrote from Hiroshima were published there, so. But yeah. don't you find the more, like I, I do that all the time because I meet visitors, they're from somewhere else. And as a guide, uh, because I have this years and years of, of stories from this area, usually I can find connections with where they're from mm -hmm. and what we're looking at. And uh, I'm sure you find that after years of traveling and living in different cultures, you can make those connections back to the American audience, I imagine. Mm -hmm. I, and I love making those connections because I think it's really important. I mean, it's, it's part of the reason why I travel is to be able to broaden my vista, but I also feel very privileged in my ability to do it. I, I don't have young kids. I don't have aging parents, which doesn't mean you can't travel if you have those two things. But I, I have my health, again, touch wood, 
Um, so I feel that it's very privileged that I have these opportunities and, um, and I don't want to keep them just to myself. I want to be able to share them with other people through my writing, through doing podcasts and, and interviews like this. Cause I think it's, you know, we all learned how to armchair travel during COVID, right? During the pandemic. And, uh, this is just a way to extend that. So, yeah. Now, speaking of armchair travel, I was during COVID, I was doing tours on Hey Go. Now you I love that. Hey Go has <laughs> unfortunately closed, but you were a big advocate of virtual travel. And before you are planning to go somewhere, do a bunch of these virtual travel tours with locals and then make your travel plans along the way, right? I thought that was so clever. Yes, I got um, turned on to Hago with a, a homeless man in Edinburgh. I was uh, locked down in Edinburgh at a, at a long-term house sit there. I was extremely lucky with what I fell into because I truly was homeless at that point. I had sold my house in California. Um, I, I, I really had nowhere to go during the pandemic. And so I was able to hunker down in um, uh Edinburgh, which was just great. And so I met uh, through some volunteer work that I was doing, I met a homeless man who was doing Hago tours. And it was the sort of the underbelly of, of Edinburgh. And um, through Hago, and, and it is, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that they've closed down, but I started taking tours of other places in Europe. And that was how I did my research to decide to come and live in Lisbon. And this is now where I've relocated to and I'm working on getting residency here. I'm very excited about it. So um, I see Sarah wrote that she did Hago tours too. I mean, it was just I like no fabulous. Yeah. yeah, I was just doing it for a year and uh, starting to grow an audience and then so sad that they closed down. Um, but yeah, now after COVID, I guess people can travel for real. Um, but one of the one of the benefits, I think, is that there are a lot of people who COVID or not, they can't travel because of health issues, disability issues, right? And mm -hmm. Hango and those kind of virtual travel platforms, where it's not, I I think, done by locals like Hego was instead of a professional tour. I think mm -hmm. people love that ability to connect with real people, right? It was, it was such a, it was a really great platform. It was a great idea. And for those in the audience who aren't familiar with it, it was an opportunity that the tours were all done in real time. They were not recorded. Um, and just like here as Joy has the opportunity for people to chat, people who were joining the tour could chat. The tours were free. Um, they would tip the, the tour guide at the end through a virtual wallet. Um, but the, the man whose tour I took in, in Edinburgh, because I actually did physically did the tour with him while he was doing the Hago tour. Um, and he told me that he had like whole families that were on different continents that would join the tour at the same time. And it was so it's like families were traveling together. And so there were just connections being made all over the place. It was really quite something. But traveling does that, doesn't it? I mean, it really brings us together if we want it to. And so, you know, I commend you for the tour that, that you're doing. I just did a walking tour two days ago here in Lisbon. It's a history of the slave trade. It was a fascinating walking tour. And the tour guide put Portugal's slave trade in context geopolitically, economically, historically. It was really, really well done. A lot of information. And it's given me, um, a, you know, a different way to look at Lisbon and Portugal and human enslavement, you know, that's gone on for centuries. 
very interesting. So I think what you're doing is great. What Sarah is doing is great. And I'm, I can't wait to come to Japan and take your tour. Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. And I have started doing uh, the live tours on YouTube, if anybody is interested. Um, it's not the same because you don't have the closed group. Uh, people don't book it in advance like they would for Hago. So it's missing some of the the nice elements that the Hago mm -hmm. platform had. Um, but, you know, I have gotten some Hago people join me on YouTube for my live tours. So if you're interested, I'm going to see the hydrangeas this week at a, okay. at a local garden. So please join. <laughs> let me definitely let me know and I'll post it on my Facebook page as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah it'd be yeah. great to have you. Of course, free. YouTube is free. Um, but after a week, I make it just for members. So if people sign okay. up as a member on my channel. Um, but you were in, you mentioned Scotland. Now, one of the things I, I picked up on was John Muir. Um, because when I was in San Francisco, I loved going to the forest. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was dedicated, named after him. And he- The John Muir Redwoods, yes, Oh my beautiful. gosh, those Redwoods were amazing. And he mm -hmm. was one of the co-founders in 1892 of Sierra Club. And he helped get the national parks. Uh, system. And he was from Scotland. It's amazing. Right, right. I had no idea until I was there. He's from Dunbar, Scotland. And uh, he grew up there and, and ran through the wilds of Scotland, you know, as a child. And then his family moved to, uh, to the United States. So, yeah, I, and, I love that story because we were just talking about that as travelers, you can still volunteer, you can still be a part of the community. I think especially with house sitting or slow travel, staying in a place longer term, um, meeting local people, making friends with neighbors and, and the friends of the people you're house sitting. So I think that's so connected to sustainability. And we, here we're talking mm -hmm. about John Muir, who started the American Park as, you know, protection of all our heritage, natural heritage, and he came from Scotland. So right. even as an outsider, I think that gives us all inspiration that you can still be the person you wanna be even while you travel, right? Even when you're outside oh. your country. Yeah, I don't create a new persona when I travel, but I do find that I like myself better when I'm traveling because I am more open and um, and and flexible and more willing to try new things. When I get home, it's like I get into my rut, I get into the groove, and I'm just not out there as much and not exploring as much. So I'm still the same person, but I think I'm a better person when I'm traveling. It opens your eyes to things about yourself that you didn't see before. Maybe you didn't yes. have time to see, or you were too much in the familiar that you you didn't notice it. But when you're outside of your familiar environment, I think it, it does make you look at yourself and think about things in a new way, right? It does. And for me, house sitting is kind of the, the hybrid of that. So, you know, I'm in a new environment, certainly a new home. I'm in a new culture most of the time, although I've house sat in the United States as well. Um, I'm in a new neighborhood, new area. So I have all that freshness. I have that curiosity, that opportunity to explore some more. But I also have the comfort of home. So I can I can choose to stay in. I don't have, but if I'm, you know, if I'm paying for a hotel room, I feel like I have to leave it to, to go explore, to, to make, make the investment work. 
and and I also have to leave it so the house housekeeping can come in, right? But for me, when I'm house sitting, I I can take a day off from sightseeing and relax at home at home, and um, so it gives me the kind of that the best of both worlds, if you will. That's one of the one of the things that I really love about house sitting is that flexibility. That's awesome, and I I love I want to go back to that in a second. We have a comment okay. from Alexander Brown, uh, who's from Scotland, and he's on LinkedIn appreciating all the mentions of Scotland and Edinburgh. There are beautiful redwoods out at Benmore Botanic Gardens in the west of Scotland. Oh, great! I want to go explore that next time. Yes, I, I, I lived as a kid uh, for a year uh, near Edinburgh, and it was a great oh. experience, even as a kid. Our whole family spent a year in Scotland, one of the formative years. And I think one of the reasons I'm comfortable living abroad as an adult, too, right? It, it's kind of a, a great way to travel with your family, and then your kids don't feel that sense that the world is such a scary place, right? Right. Yeah. No, we traveled when I was young. Um, in fact, my, my stepfather, right after he married my mother, uh, took us all to Mexico for a summer. And I turned 12 in Mexico. And it was great because it was an opportunity to start learning a new language and just seeing how other people lived. It was really quite an eye-opener. And people travel with their children in house sit. So it's um, we talked earlier about solo women, and I think it's a particularly great way for solo women to travel. But families, couples travel and house sit. Families travel and house sit mothers and daughters. I mean, there's all kinds of different uh, configurations. There's, there's just thousands of house sits out there. And that's why these platforms like House Sit Match are such a great opportunity to bring people together because it's a way to find out about this and just, you know, a few clicks of the mouse, right? So yeah, no, definitely. Now I'm going to put you on the spot now, Kelly. Uh, can you read a little bit of your book to us. Do you have a favorite part that you could read? Uh, of my house sitting book? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, I have some, it's, you know, it's, it's a how-to book, but I have some personal stories in here. Let me find one of them. Yeah, if you just um, choose one. I love to have authors okay. read a bit of their books. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, Ay, 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 ay. Okay, let's just skip through here. Sorry. No, that's okay. I'll put, I'll put a link to your jumpstartmybook.org link. Um, so Kelly also, we mentioned earlier, she helps people get their books out. Um, and this is her coaching website. So if you've got a book in mind and you just can't get started, uh, Kelly co-authors and helps you get on track, get that book out. You ready, Kelly? Thank you. Yeah, let's see. Um, okay. So I, I, as I mentioned, so in my house sitting book, I put in a couple of uh, my own personal anecdotes. And this one is called Between the Lines. While house sitting in a small village of 1.5 million people in China, I was the only non-Western face I saw in over a week. I relied on communicating through Google translating phrases on my laptop, such as minibus to panda sanctuary, and photographing the Chinese letters with my cell phone to show to taxi and minibus drivers. I always got to my destination, but the Chinese equivalent of online translating seemed lacking. While on a minibus, for example, a young Chinese woman spoke into her cell phone and handed it down the line of passengers to me. 
are you a man needs parts? The phone read. Um, I shrugged in confusion and handed the phone back down the line to her. She spoke again into her phone and passed it to me. Are you a man needs parts? After thinking for a minute, I ventured, yes, I'm American. She nodded and smiled. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. I did not put that together at all. Yeah, it took me a little while. Well, everybody, that was one of the questions that people would ask me at the very beginning. This just right. happened to be a very strange translating tool. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. And it, it's, you know, traveling is getting easier. AI is improving. Um, but mm -hmm. we still have those funny, uh, which is almost, you know, as if you've got people with a good sense of humor who can kind of laugh at themselves, who like communication and communication is always trying to figure out what people are saying, even in the same language, right? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, these, these, it's a group of young women and they were just, you know, they'd never seen a Westerner before. And so it was just a great opportunity to, to attempt to communicate with each other. So right. it was fun, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. That was our time. That's been an hour of fun stories, house sitting, pet sitting, about your writing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joy. It's such a great time to see you again. Please tell your family I send my love. I will. I will. And thank you, everybody, for joining. It's been great to have your comments and questions along the way. And uh, I'll get all the links that we talked about from Kelly. Make sure I put that all in the show notes. And uh, definitely reach out to Kelly if you need help coaching or you more questions about house sitting. And uh, through what's your main website or main way for people to communicate with you? HouseSitDiva.com. Okay, awesome. So, beautiful. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, Kelly. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Some of us seem to be stuck under a black cloud. Some of us wonder if it's ever gonna rain. And you all seem like such nice people. Has anyone seen the guy who used to be right here? Some of us can't get over the sound of our own voices. Some of us come pleasure of talking with Kelly Hayes Rate, who is in Lisbon. Thank you so much for joining today, Kelly. Thank you. It's nine o'clock here on a nice, bright, sunny day. I understand yeah. you're in the rainy season. So sorry. No, no, it, it was actually a really beautiful day today. We had a little break in the weather. And uh, one thing that keeps me positive is all the beautiful hydrangeas are now out mm. everywhere. So that's gorgeous. So what's the weather like in, in Lisbon? It's beautiful and sunny today. We have the jacarandas out now. What's that? So Is that a kind the of jacarandas? Flower? Yeah, it's a flowering tree, purple, beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I want to see a picture now. Um, so Kelly, you and I met years ago. I guess it was eight years ago. You mm -hmm. came to Hiroshima for the 70th anniversary of the bombing. Uh, you were doing a house sit in Osaka. So during this talk, we're going to talk about 
how you've kind of used house sitting as like your next stage in life after a very intense career, right? Um, yes. But that was that was incredible to be able to meet you, and then now to be able to talk to you again many years later. So I thank you so much. Such a joy for me to see you, Joy. <laughs> That's great. Let's talk a little bit about your career. So you were a political consultant and activist in California for about thirty mm -hmm. years. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I got into politics when I was twelve, and at that age, I decided I wanted to run for office myself. And so I became a political activist, and that's what I did for all of my adult years until I ran for office myself, uh, for public office, and got my butt kicked and decided I needed to take a break from politics. And that was, oh goodness, that was, um, I can't do the math that quickly. That was 18 years ago. <laughs> wow, incredible. Yeah. And you've been pretty much house-sitting and on the road in those 18 years, have you? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. Yep, I spent some time in the Middle East. Um, one of the ways that I licked my wounds was I went to the Middle East and I was reporting from um, Iraq right before the war started, the US-led invasion. And I went back a few months later to follow up on my stories. Um, and then I just uh, started traveling the world. I fell into the world of house sitting, which was very new then, where I would go to people's homes, pet owners' homes, take care of their pets while they went on holiday. And I had an opportunity to live uh, basically rent free in their home while I was taking care of their home and their pets. So it was a great win-win kind of opportunity for all of us. And I ended up, I was traveling full-time for 12 years and I house sat in 22 different countries throughout Southeast Asia, Europe, Africa, Mexico. So That's amazing. And yes. you've written so many really interesting articles. A lot of it is available on your blog, which I'll link in the show notes below. Um, but while you were traveling, you had, you just, was it an opportunistic, uh, something was happening and so you were reporting on it or did you kind of plan your trips to have a chance to cover these stories? Like for example, uh, in Korea, you covered the comfort woman uh, story. You had a chance to interview some of the survivors, right? Yes, yes, I did. I, I interviewed a comfort woman. It was a really remarkable experience, actually, because, you know, they're all in their in their 80s. The ones that are still surviving are in their 80s now. And uh, yeah, and it was really quite something to uh, have an opportunity to meet this woman. It, you know, what what impresses me, what inspires me, what keeps me awestruck is people's resilience. And I found that when I interviewed Habakasha, survivors of the atomic bombs, I found that when I interviewed um, the comfort women, I found that when I interviewed uh, Syrian refugees, which I did in Berlin during the height of the Syrian refugee crisis, I, I, people are just extraordinary. The human spirit is, you know, I know you're all about sustainability. The human spirit is the most sustainable thing that's out there. And to have an opportunity to talk with people at their lowest, about their lowest, most difficult things and hear how they came through them is, is an honor for me. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. That, that whole, the under, you know, I feel very privileged to live in Hiroshima for so long and be surrounded by mm -hmm. people that have come through something that most of us would consider impossible to move on from. How do you rebuild lives after that, you know? And, 
yeah, I just, I think it's incredible that, and I think it's something we can all relate to. Like a lot of visitors are drawn to come to Hiroshima or go to Nagasaki or to learn about these issues, which are dark, but that's a very interesting part of travel, which I think as humans, as people who live in the real world, we can all connect to on some level of loss and trying to mm -hmm. rebuild after crisis or disaster in some way, right? Right, absolutely. I mean, my loss was pretty minor compared to most other people's. I, I lost an election. It was a nasty election. I felt like I lost my identity. There was a lot of betrayal. Um, I felt like I lost, uh, well, I lost my identity. I had identified with being a political activist for all those years. And then suddenly in my mid forties, I woke up one morning and said, oh, I shouldn't swear on air. I said, WTF, <laughs> now what do I do? And, uh, and so it took me a while to kind of figure that out. But one of the ways that I healed was by, by working with people who were moving on from horrendously difficult things in their lives, war. I mean, what's worse than that? People who had lost family members and lost their homes and their identities and their limbs. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just extraordinary to, to watch people recover from that and to move on. And so that, that helped me heal. So house sitting was really a big part of that for me because it allowed me to travel to all these different places and become part of the community. That's incredible. Yeah. And so important uh, to have that chance to to live like a local. I think it's it's a very different kind of traveling than staying in hotels or hostels. Right. And you, you talk about that in your your articles. Uh, hey, Sarah has joined us from YouTube. Great to see you, Sarah. I think you just did a talk with Sarah the other day, didn't you? I did, and it was wonderful. And that's how you and I connected. And Sarah's in Hawaii now, so I have no idea what time zone she's in, but it's great to see her. Nice to see you, Sarah. Thanks for joining. Um, yeah, so talking a little bit about uh, how you got started with house sitting. Uh, so you wrote a book, which gives people some insights, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're also your writing coach. So you help people move through and get their book done. How many people out there, including myself, are always like, I should write a book. And then you're just so hard to get going to actually get it done. And that's uh, one of your jobs that funds you around the world, right? Right. I love working with authors, um, particularly memoir writers. But I also work with uh, writers of fiction and other kinds of um, how-to books like my book, The House Sitting Book, and and uh, and just help writers get through those humps and cheer them on, but also give them practical advice that I've learned as a writer um, on how to move a story forward. So with a House Sitting Book, I, you know, House Sitting isn't brain surgery, but I learned a lot while doing it. And, um, and this is just a great way for people to kind of get a little bit of a leg up when they're trying to figure out how to break into House Sitting. Um, very cleverly titled, How to Become a House Sitter, right? But I start the book with, um, I sleep around, usually with animals. Because <laughs> I've, I've, I've house sat for, uh, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of dogs and cats and, <clears throat> and rabbits as well. So and um, those which, are, those which are, are the hardest pets to take care of? Or which do you worry about taking care of the most? Older animals. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because um, it's sometimes things just go wrong. Yeah. Um, and 
Um, and puppies can be a challenge, especially if they're not really super well-trained because they get into everything, but there's so much joy. And the older animals are very sweet too, because they just want to cuddle and love you and be with you. So, yeah. Also, you're giving uh, the owners so much more peace of mind than uh, in Japan. A lot of people who travel or go away on business, they have to use these pet hotels and the animals get really stressed and they're very expensive. So if you can have someone come and stay in your house and take care of your pet in their environment, that's it's so much nicer for the pets. And I think for the owners to have that peace of mind too, right? Yeah, I think it's really important because it keeps the pets routines. Um, it, it is a lot less stressful for them, um, particularly if they're on medication or if they have, you know, particular routines or behavioral problems. It's just really nice to, to have somebody there right on site. But I also take care of the home. So I've had situations where there have been storms coming through and the homeowners were like really grateful that somebody was in their home to take care of it. Or um, I take care of plants too, you know, keep the plants watered and keep the, the gardens and lawns. I would, up, I would so. worry about keeping plants alive. I don't have much luck around here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I would do my best. Give me, give me good advice. You know, the whole thing is. <laughs> Tell right. me how you do it. I'll follow you. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, I just I ask for the 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 advice too, um, in terms of how homeowners want it because it keeps the routine of the whole home happening. You know, keeps that moving forward. So, I mean, one of the things that I I I mean, I love being with pets. So that's like the number one thing for me about house sitting. And I love the opportunity to travel and, as you said, live like a local and have a real immersive experience. But the other thing that really um, sparks my joy about house sitting is knowing that I'm giving the homeowners an opportunity to travel. Um, years and years and years ago, before I got into it, I was working with a man who told me that he and his wife couldn't travel because they had two big rescue dogs. And I just thought, oh, I mean, here they've put their hearts out and they've rescued these dogs and it's meant that they had to give up traveling. You know, that to me was just like such a huge sacrifice. And so I love being able to um, provide a service to pet owners, particularly rescue pet owners and allow them to have the, the horizon opening opportunity to travel themselves and know that everything's okay back home. That is so that's, it's a, such a, a, yeah. that's such a peace of mind. That's a gift uh, when you're traveling, you know, like uh, we, we recently, we had signed up with a house uh, sitting, a pet sitting service, but they couldn't find a match for us. And we had to go and see family last summer. So we asked some neighbor kids to come and just feed the cats. And it was really stressful being on vacation, trying to communicate with, you know, neighbors. Are they are they really doing, you know, and they were great. They ended up being, you know, very responsible and everything. But how much easier would it have been to have someone here, you know? Right. No, exactly. So the way the model works is there are several platforms out there that are online where um, pet owners can go and join and then put up a profile with their house sitting needs, what the pet's needs are, where they're located and so forth. And then um, sitters like me join those sites and we look and see if the dates are right, if it's a location that makes sense, and then we we connect through the platform. So my favorite platform, there's a big one out there that I'm not going to mention that is the most expensive and the most competitive and in my personal opinion doesn't have very good customer service. So I like to use the smaller sites and uh, because they're the customer service is just unparalleled with the smaller sites. Um, one of the sites that I really love is House Sit Match 
and they're based out of uh, the UK. It's a family owned business. They've been around for um, nearly 10 years and they're running a really great promotion right now where they're offering free 12 month standard memberships to homeowners and to pet sitters. So it's a great opportunity for anybody who is just toyed with the idea of becoming a pet sitter and, and doing this as, a, um, as an opportunity to travel or a great opportunity for a pet owner like yourself to find somebody besides the kids next door, right? Um, so it's housesitmatch.com and you need to put in the code FREE12. FREE is all capital letters and there's no gap. Uh, FREE12 and for the standard membership. And it's, um, yep, perfect, thank you. Okay. And uh, it's a great chat, so everybody should have that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a great opportunity, and the the woman who runs it is just such a lovely woman, and she's very hands on and very committed to the idea of the collaboration of house sitting, and, and the kind of win win not, it is. It's not like you just find a vacancy and and you apply and you get it. There is kind of a back and forth between you and the homeowner, and to make sure you're a right match before you commit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I always insist on a video chat so that I have a chance to see how the owners interact with the animals and I have a chance to see their home and we talk about, oh, just all kinds of things, you know, are there, what are the pets routines? Um, are they on any medicines? What are their behaviors like, right? All pets have, you know, some behavior and how do you handle that? And so I want to be consistent about that. And it also gives the homeowner a chance to ask me questions about my experience and about, um, you know, how I handle certain situations. So it's a it's a little bit like a job interview um, because it is a professional experience, although no money changes hands. I don't get paid as a house sitter and I pay my way to go to the home and the homeowner, you know, comp compensates me by free accommodations and usually a full refrigerator or something like that. You know, it's very kind. People are people are very appreciative. Um, so it's a it's a great win win collaboration. Yeah, that's awesome. And you did mention in another of the podcasts you did that there are some professional house sitters, uh, professional uh, pet sitters. But I think like like you were saying, in terms of being a traveler, and go, coming on a travel visa, it's definitely easier if no money exchanges hands. That you you just have like a handshake agreement. Uh, you'll take care of the house and pets, and you have a place to stay, right? Exactly. And I've become really good friends with a lot of the people that I've house sat for, and I do a lot of repeats. And it's, um, I mean, really dear, dear friends at this point. Um, I met Sarah through House Sitting Networks, and uh, it's just a lovely community to be part of. And it's really been a big part of my life in the last 10, 15 years. And I'm so grateful for it that, that I fell into this. Awesome. Yeah. Now, on you've written a lot about uh, house sitting and pet sitting, including your book. Uh, mm -hmm. You have a great blog. And one of the articles that you did, which I, I thought was really interesting, and I picked up a lot of parallels uh, you were talking about traveling as a, a solo female woman traveler and uh, 16 reasons house sitting is perfect for solo women travelers. And there's so many uh, points here that I thought is another reason why house sitting or pet sitting is also more sustainable travel. It's mm -hmm. a slower type of travel. You are traveling like a local. You're having more local experiences. 
Um, but let's just mention some of the points because it was awesome. And then I'll I'll put the link to the blog so everybody can read everything. Um, sure. I love your number one. You're in a safer area usually than the hotels are. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I'm a city girl. So I generally house sit in cities because that's what I love. And, you know, let's face it, the touristy areas of most of the world's major cities are kind of dicey sometimes, right? And, uh, you know, they attract pickpockets, they attract scammers. And it's, I like being in a real neighborhood where the neighbors are watching out for each other. If I'm walking a dog, I get a chance to meet the neighbors because they're outside as well. I'm meeting other dog owners. And, and they probably just, know your dog that you're walking. That's right. right? That's right. I, I've had that happen so many times. It's just, it's, <laughs> I, when people come up and, uh, you know, it's really funny. And it's a great way then for me to meet people. That's a ter terrific icebreaker, right? But even if I've got cats and I'm not out walking an animal, um, it's still usually a safer neighborhood. And, uh, and so that's something that I really like, particularly if I'm going out to a play or or meeting friends for dinner or something and i'm out at night to be able to come home to a regular neighborhood as opposed to you know some of those sketchy tourist neighborhoods yeah yeah and uh another really interesting point you said you adopt their friends often their neighbors <laughs> and their friends you ask them for recommendations of friends or neighbors that you might talk to and then you can make connections through their friends or their neighbors i just thought that was brilliant yes thank you yeah because the homeowners aren't going to be there so even though i bonded with them there's not going to be much of an opportunity to to go play with them so i asked them to introduce me to um, one of their friends or a couple of their friends and it's somebody that i can go out and have coffee with or they can show me you know a really interesting part of town that i wouldn't have found by myself or someone i could go to an art exhibit with and i've i've made some really wonderful long-standing friends that way as well isn't that funny? So yeah. sometimes you might actually stay in someone's house, become good <laughs> friends with their neighbors and never meet them. <laughs> that can, that has happened. I've house sat uh, numerous times for people that, um, you know, re repeating times that I've never actually met them in person, that they leave before I get there. So, it's, but, it's so but, we, but we stay in touch and I feel like they're friends because yes, we're in touch yes. all the time. Yeah. And and you do a video chat, so you you kind of feel like you know them, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and you know, I'm living in somebody's home too. That's a very intimate relationship when you think about it. Um, I mean, it's not like I'm snooping around or anything, but you know, you see how people live their lives and 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 how things are set up, and you're taking care of their pets. You know, their most close, closely held, important. Um, parts of their lives. So it's a very intimate kind of relationship. So it's um, it's something that I take very responsibly and, and all of my house sitter friends take that responsibility to heart as well. Yeah, I think you have to, because uh, you also get a rating as at the end, right? Don't you get a rating yes. so that people <clears throat> trust you in the future? Yes, and yeah, we, uh, we, we it's an exchange. So I, I rate the homeowners and give them a review on the website and they give me a review as a sitter. Yeah, so it does keep that that bond intact. Yeah. Nice. Um, another thing you were talking about laundry. This is something that drives me crazy. <laughs> if I go to a hotel and usually there's no like laundry machine that you can use, and you're there for a week, and then you have to go and find. I usually meet 
people in the area because I'm at the coin laundry, like in around the <laughs> hotel area, because they'll charge you. What is it like $5 per sock or something like it's crazy. So having yeah. that added benefit, added value of just having a laundry there, having kitchen that you can cook in. Sometimes you don't want to eat out every meal, right? You, right. you have a house that you can use. You also have free parking if you have a car. Uh, there's a lot of benefits of living like you live there, right? Right. And usually people have, you know, cable packages. So Netflix and HBO Plus and so forth. So you don't have to pay for all those movies. I mean, hotels are, I, I, I like hotels. I stay at hotels when I have to, but they're tremendously consumptive, right? I mean, they're so bad for the environment, you know, doing, even if you hang your towels up, the maid still oftentimes takes the towels away and replaces them every day. Um, and just, when you think about all the things that go into making a hotel room, the soaps and just all of it is so consumptive. And um, so I like that I protect the environment by staying in someone's home, but I also get all those other luxuries. I don't get nickel and dimed like crazy, like you do in a hotel. There's no tips. As you said, you don't have to pay for laundry. Um, I have my own kitchen. I don't have to pay for parking. You know, usually yeah, there's stores that are around me that are what locals pay for things, not what tourists pay. Um, room service in hotels are so expensive as well. So it's it's just, it's a great budget way to travel. Yeah. And yeah. don't you find like, even if you stay in a hotel that has a kitchen, like you're, you're trying to cook something, you have to buy everything from the store that you want to cook. So everything, including salt, pepper, oil, any kind of like pan or cooking thing that they don't have, right? But in a house, they're fully equipped for everything. Cle cleaning materials, you know, <laughs> I can wash the dishes. I don't have to go out and buy dishwashing soap, right? Yes. I mean, just all of those kinds of things. It's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it just, it's a seamless way to travel in terms of, of amenities. Yeah. And yeah. then you don't have the single use plastics, which unfortunately most right. hotels and guest houses in Japan are still using. You've got, you know, plastic toothbrushes, plastic, everything in the room when you get in and you're like, oh, good. Like, so if you stay at someone's house, I assume that you do not have plastic everything. Right. Single use, right? <laughs> right. And I actually have full bottles of shampoo. Those little tiny bottles, they drive me nuts, right? That's so, they're need, so wasteful. Needs that? Nobody needs right. that. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, we mentioned about saving money, but you have to be aware of the responsibility. So not really, it's not really something you would say you're staying for free because you are, right. you have the responsibility to take care of the house and take care of the pets, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's first and foremost. So, you know, I have, I house sat full time for 12 years. And let me just say, as an aside, most people don't house sit full time as a lifestyle, they do it for their holidays. So, you know, a summer break, uh, you know, Christmas holiday, Easter, whatever. And, and it's just, it's a great way to kind of immerse yourself in another, in another culture, um, without having to pay for all these wasteful hotels. Um, so that's the way most people house sit. And I forgot the question. <laughs> um, so saving money, saving money. Right, saving money. Oh, the responsibility part of it. But yeah. there is the responsibility, of course. And, and there have been times over the last 12 years that I've had to drop my plans and, and take care of a, of a pet and rush a pet to the vet. You know, that happens occasionally. And um, 
you know, it's just something to be aware of. It's part of the responsibility that house sitters take on. And I think homeowners understand that responsibility too. And they're just so welcoming and grateful that someone is help, you know, coming to their home and taking care of their animals for free and taking on that responsibility. So, yeah. If, if you did have to take the animals to a vet or something that costs a lot of money, um, would the neighbors like help you pay for that? And then the owners pay them back. I, have you ever had issues like that? Yeah. Usually what happens is, is that the homeowner has set it up with the vet beforehand. Okay. So, right. you know, so they either leave cash somewhere if there's an emergency or they set it up with an account. Um, one time I did have to, a dog got into some poison, uh, some snail poison, and I had to rush it to the vet and the homeowner, you know, was on the phone with the vet as well with her credit card. So, oh. Yeah, and the animal was fine. The dog was oh, fine. Good. That would be such so a scary. sweet dog. Oh. It was, but the dog was just, you know, he was just great and he was so loving and yeah, it worked out okay. Oh, good. He's because I, yeah. I think a lot of travelers uh, always feel like, oh, I'm on vacation, nothing bad will happen. Uh, but sometimes bad things do happen, especially when you're taking care of somebody else's house and pets. You want to have that layer of responsibility that you're going to take care of it if something goes wrong, right? Right. And I always ask for emergency contacts. So somebody local who, you know, can come and help, whether it's a trusted neighbor or, you know, a relative or somebody who's close by who can who can pinch it. Because what if something happened to me? Right. And nothing ever has touch wood, but uh, you know, it's, so it's nice to have a backup, a local backup who, um, who can help out, you know, and just be, if nothing else, moral support if you need it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now you can cook for yourself. You can get the local insights. You can meet the neighbors, a uh, better, safer Wi-Fi park for free. But one of the things that kind of surprised me was you were talking about no bed bugs. Well, you know, bed bugs around the world in these beds where lots of people are sleeping in. I did not think of you that. You just don't know. But, you know, in somebody's home, I mean, you know you're walking into a place that's that's likely to be a lot more hygienic than a hotel. Wow, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, you know, Joy, post-COVID, yeah. you know, I think that's also important, too, because we've, you know, we've just come out of this pandemic when people weren't traveling and they were sequestered in hotels. And, you know... I, you know, hotels can be like little, I'm not a big germaphobe, but hotels can be kind of little dicey sometimes. <laughs> now, you you say that you have a quiz for people, whether they are the kind of person who would be a good house sitter or a pet sitter. Uh, can you give us a little taste, like some of the questions from the quiz? Sure. I, yeah, I include that right in the beginning of my book because, I mean, let's face it, house sitting isn't right for everybody. And, um, and I think it's really important for people to know, to assess what's important for them. I mean, this isn't a pass-fail quiz. It's, it's, an, it's a self-exploration opportunity to see what's most important to you. So some of the factors I talk about, for example, are noise. Now, I, I don't know if you can hear the planes here in the background in Lisbon. I've got some pretty good headphones, but I live in a particularly noisy place in Lisbon. And I know friends who would not be happy living here because of the noise. Um, so it, that's an important thing to know about yourself if that's something that, that concerns you. Um, another thing to think about is how rural the area is. Um, I mentioned before that I'm a city girl and um, I like to be able to just hop on public transportation and get around. So I tend not to take rural house sits because 
that just doesn't fit with my traveling style and my personality. Um, some other kinds of things to look at is, um, let's see, we could go to somewhere. Clutter. Um, different people have different levels of um, ability to live with somebody else's clutter. And so um, that's something to look at. So when you're having the video chat with a homeowner, it's an opportunity to look around the house and see how cluttered it is and whether or not that would make you feel anxious if you were there. Um, uh, let's see. Um, by, by clutter, do you also mean, like I've been in some <clears throat> artistic people's houses and mm -hmm. they have gorgeous pottery and antiques everywhere. And I, I feel really nervous staying there. Just I don't want to knock anything. Everything looks very expensive, that kind of thing. Um, is that what you mean by clutter or a bit different? Well, it, it could be all kinds of different things, right? So like um, that's one example. So one way to handle that would be either don't apply for that sit because that would not be a good fit for you or don't live in the rooms that have those antiques. So, I mean, it's possible to just shut the doors and not live, you know, live in the family room. Most people, you know, most people who have homes like that with a lot of antiques have a more relaxed family room that they could live in. Um, but other examples of clutter might be uh, in the kitchen. If there's a, you know, not a lot of counter space and you like to cook and there's just gadgets everywhere that could make people anxious. I, I'm not a big cook. I, clutter doesn't bother me. So it's not something that I, that I think about and worry about, but I have friends who, first thing they do sometimes when they go into a place is take photographs of where everything is and then move everything to the side. So they have room for their own things to be able to be comfortable living there. Now, part of that depends on how long the house sit is. If it's, you know, if it's a weekend, you know, I'm not going to worry about that or a week or something, but some of the house sits I've had have been several months. And so it's, um, or, you know, several weeks. So it's nice to be able to create my own space. Um, if I if I am doing a longer what house, it looks like when you go there. That's so clever, because I have been told by friends that we've had extended stays with that they can't find things after I leave because I put them. <laughs> I just I don't I don't realize I'm doing it, but I put things in different areas that they don't normally put things in, and so they'll be calling me <laughs> after going, "Where did you put the peeler? Like where joy? Right. You know, right. especially kitchen stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a so I, so. I ask if I'm going to do a longer stay, I ask homeowners to clear a little space for me in the closet and in the bathroom and in the kitchen so that I have room to put my stuff without moving their stuff around a lot. But um, again, these aren't deal breaker things. They're just things to know and to know about yourself. What, what makes you happy when you travel and, 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 uh, um, and it can, that can change, right? Sometimes it can be, I want to go to a new culture and explore it. So I want to have um, a lot of free time where I could go out to museums and plays and so forth. So I probably don't want to take care of a puppy that needs to be walked five times a day. On the other hand, sometimes I'm on a writing project or I'm editing a book and I'm going to be spending most of my time home. And so having that dog that needs to be walked five times a day is a joy because it gets me out of the chair and out walking around a little bit. So understanding the purpose of your travel, who you're traveling with, what you're hoping to get out of the trip, what kind of experience living in somebody's home would, would make sense to fit those needs. 
So those are all those are all things that are sort of part of the quiz. So um, again, the quiz isn't like a deal breaker. Am I a good house sitter or am I not a good house sitter? It's a, an opportunity to decide and to understand more about the different factors that would make your trip more um, successful for you. No, I think that's really important. And uh, knowing yourself and things that you're going to find irritating or you're going to find good about it. And of course, there's you can't plan for everything. There must be host sets that you've signed up for and then you get there and you're like, mm, not really fitting me. Do you ever have that? I've had that and I've had that go both ways where I've shown okay. up and gone, oh, Gee, what did I just get myself into? And holy cow, this is way better than I thought it would be. Um, so, uh, you know, that's just, but that's part of traveling, right? I mean, I've walked into hotel rooms where I've gone, what was I thinking? And then something and, grow on you, right? Yeah, right. So it it just, it's, um, it's, it's all part of traveling. It's part of being flexible. I think we were talking before about resilience and um, and I think resilience is something that's very important for house sitters, flexibility, sense of humor, all of those things that we pack when we travel, you know, the, the curiosity, the flexibility, the willingness to go with the flow. We need that in spades when we're house sitting, but we, we carry that with us anyway when we're traveling, right? Definitely. Um, now, you had the chance to interview a woman who was a famous traveler. Who was that? I saw that on your blog. I thought that was so interesting. Oh, Rita Golden Gelman? Yes, yes. Yes. Did she oh, give yes. you any insights from her many years of experience? Yes. Rita's a trip. She wrote Tales of a Female Nomad. When Rita was in her 40s, um, she uh, was in a marriage that was just not working anymore. And um, she decided to sell all of her belongings and travel the world full time. And she did that for many, many years. And she wrote a book called Tales of a Female Nomad um, and also a, an anthology following that called Female Nomad and Friends. Yeah, there she is. I took that photo actually. <laughs> it's in uh, Todos Santos, Mexico. Um, Yes, yeah, Sarita is uh, just incredibly inspiring about traveling and about how travel opens opens things inside us. It just makes us more connected in the world, but also I think makes us more connected to what makes us tick in each individual tick. Um, and, and Rita definitely like she's her big thing in life is to to create a gap year mentality in the United States. Rita's American, and um, you know. Joy, I know you're American as well. And, you know, the, the mentality there is to go from, you know, high school right into college and start your life and make it happen. And so Rita's been an advocate for a gap year to allow 18 and 19 and 20 year olds socially make it socially acceptable for them to take a year and go explore the world in some way. And uh, she feels that that and I agree with her. She feels that that's really an eye opener for young people before they embark on their career. Um, you know, Rita used to say to me, the more people travel and meet each other, the fewer wars we have. Yeah, That's so. absolutely how I feel. And I, I've started doing uh, guiding this year since the board is open. I was, I was training, you, were, you are a trainer and an educator as well. So I was training and educating guides and future tourism, you know, people in university for years. And I just started doing it myself this year. And I just, I love it. I love seeing 
my Hiroshima through the eyes, the fresh eyes of international travelers. And many of the travelers or a bunch of groups have been from Israel uh, or Jewish travelers from the States mm -hmm. and their perspective on Hiroshima and the Holocaust Museum or their experiences or their heritage. And I know that you had a really interesting uh, Palestine and Israel uh, re like event that you were a part of. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure, yeah, after after my election loss, um, I, I went to the Middle East, I've been to the Middle East seven times. And so my first time was when I was uh, covering the, um, the US led invasion in Iraq. But I also was part of delegations um, that were working with other refugees. And so I spent time in Palestinian refugee camps in the West Bank, uh, in Lebanon, and in Syria. And uh, it was really quite an eye-opening experience for me to see firsthand the impact of US policies on the Middle East, and particularly the amount of defense dollars the US gives to Israel. And uh, it's $3 billion, it's uh, a, a year, and it's more than we give any other country in the world. And by law, a vast majority of that money must come back to US weapons manufacturers. So <laughs> this is not a surprise to most of us, but you know, wars are big money makers. And um, you know, that was something that, that I learned while I was there and that was really quite a shocker. So it was an interesting experience for me. So I, I've, I have written quite a bit about refugees in the Middle East. Wow. I mean, you've done a lot of work, it seems like, with uh, refugees. Uh, you were volunteering in Berlin uh, when the Syrian refugee crisis, and then you were in Mexico for the Central America refugee crisis, right? Right. Yes. I happened to be um, house sitting in Berlin during the height of the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, my homeowner was wonderful. She you know, knew of my interest in this area. And so she found for me that she researched and found she speaks German. I don't. The refugee crisis, um, the, the refugee uh, um, registration center. So I went down and volunteered while I was there, while I was house sitting in Berlin. I went down and volunteered at that refugee center and had a chance to interview some refugees and wrote that up for a newspaper column that I was writing for a, a paper in West Los Angeles at the time. And then in Mexico, I had a regular house sit in Mexico every spring and fall for 10 years. And uh, during that time was the height of the Central American refugee crisis. And um, yes, todos somos inmigrantes. And I did a fundraising event to raise money for one of the refugee centers in, in Guadalajara. Wow. You know, I mean, just little, yeah. little tiny things. I mean, what I'm doing, I feel like it's just drops in, in a bucket, um, but you know, everything helps, everything makes a difference. And having an opportunity to talk about it with you is a way to you know, spread the word about what is actually going on in the world because oftentimes we don't hear about these things. Yeah. So thank you for doing all this fabulous research oh, about my work. No, of course. It's it's really connected to why I'm still here in Japan, you know, and feeling like I'm a part of things and I'm connected to things. And even though maybe some people think that I'm traveling, when they look at me, I don't look like I've lived here for most of my life now, you know. Um, wow. But I feel like in a way, as an international long-term resident, that I can have insights and I can support people and issues, which is positively moving it into a better future, I hope. 
I hope I'm having a positive influence, even though I'm outside of my country. And I get the feeling that you feel that way too. I do, because um, I think in many of the places where I've traveled, uh, I've been the only American around. And um, sometimes the image that foreigners have of Americans is not a very positive one. And so I appreciate the opportunity to broaden someone's perspective about America, about America and about Americans. Um, I also, I mean, I'm very proud of my country, but I'm, I'm also not proud of some of the things we've done and some of the policies that we have. And, uh, I, you know, I like being, oh, I don't know, an ambassador for peace sounds way too lofty, but we're all ambassadors for peace if we choose to be, right? And I think um, my impact on other people when I'm traveling is as important as the impact they have on me and their culture has on me. And I hope that there's an exchange that occurs when I travel. So you've, you've also, you did uh, climate refugees talking about Katrina mm. and talking to people there. So you, you have done articles and traveled within the US as well, is that right? Yes, yes, I, I did. Uh, that, I had a really interesting opportunity in, in New Orleans. A, um, a couple saw my profile on, on uh, one of the, the on House Sit Match and one of the other um, platforms and reached out to me and they said, we're not traveling anywhere, but we'd really like to host you here. We look at what you're writing and we'd like to host you here. And so that you have an opportunity to write about Katrina. And I also had been part of a delegation that um, had gone and helped clean up the Ninth Ward, which was the area, the, the poorest area of New Orleans that was hit the hardest by Katrina and the flooding that happened afterwards. Um, and what was really interesting for me, Joy, is that I heard people say exactly the same things that I'd heard Iraqi refugees and Syrian refugees from the Middle East say. We've lost our families. We've lost our history.